Welcome to Technado with Don Pizzette. Featuring sysadmin expert Don Pizzette, DevOps engineer Justin Dennison, security specialist Daniel Lowry, and Peter. Hello and welcome to Technado with Don Pizzette. I am Peter, and uh, today we've got a, uh, a great show. We've got a lot of uh, security-focused stuff off the bat, and then uh, a lot of great news uh, to get to. And uh, we have a guest that's going to help us with most of that. What, what's going on over there, Daniel? I'm just crazy. Okay. Daniel's already <laughs> so, lost. So I noticed yeah. something. It took me a while to notice something in the intro. What's that? It, the two redheaded guys are in ridiculous poses, and these two characters are <laughs> in like serious poses. People. They're well, like I said, I said, I'm taking a picture. And that's the pose you chose. No, I got a lot more pictures of me than that. Okay, well, that's well, maybe it's the one I chose. I don't I've seen know. some of them on the Department of Justice website. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm always a criminal. Anytime I go to the post office. <laughs> also, I got to tell y'all something. Okay. <laughs> I'm joking. Okay, I don't. good. All right. Uh, well, that uh, gave me more time to practice our guest's name. Uh, so we are. Okay, it's going to be tough here. All right, we are joined today uh, by the Chief Product Officer at ThreatX. It's Chris Brezjunas. Did hey I know? Was that good? Yeah, it was really good. Oh, man. A whole week of practice, and I and I did it. Uh, Chris, thank you so much. And you're joining us from uh, Colorado, we said? Yeah, just outside of Boulder, uh, Louisville, Colorado. Oh, God's country. It is. Absolutely. I don't know. I haven't been there. Oh, I read that though. So, I'm trying to figure out where you were going with that. <laughs> take some vacation time ASAP and go because right now is like a perfect time. Well, the summer is great there too because it's it's not too hot. There's never not a perfect time. Yeah, there, unless you're in a so horrible blizzard. I and have, that's that's probably. I have never been to Colorado. Wow, ever. We you all got that. to like take a road trip. Closest he got was Don, West Virginia. You've been there, right? No, yeah. I don't get okay. I've been in Illinois. Don's a real human. He's been there. And I, I thought it was a good state, but now that I know Justin's never been there, it's like a great state. <laughs> it's the best state ever. Yeah. Uh, boo. All right, well, let's jump in with our rapid fire questions for our guest. Who do you work for? What's new? Who are you? What's happening? What's wrong with you? All right. If you haven't already figured it out, I'm the um, the simpleton on the on the team here uh, from the marketing department. So I, I read a lot of buzzwords on your website, um, but help me out uh, in in understanding where Threat X fits on the security landscape. Yeah, sure. So you know, thanks for having me over here, and let me talk about the the market um, backdrop that's going on. So as you guys know, there are hundreds of millions of active websites deployed today in a variety of ways, whether it's on cloud, on-prem, or in hybrid configurations. And, you know, there's a couple of interesting statistics about security protection of these websites. The first one, it actually comes from Gartner in 2019, which is last year. And that is a pretty small percentage of enterprise websites are actually protected from security attacks, less than 20%. So there's a second uh, data point that's also worth noting. And that comes from a group called the Poneman Group. And I'm not sure if you guys have heard of them, but they do a lot of market studies. And this comes from 2019, also last year. And what they said is um, of those enterprise websites that have and have protection deployed, over 50% have been compromised, at least in some matter. So, you know, why is that? You know, well, from my perspective, protection hasn't been easy with the security tools that have been in the market for the last decade, like web application firewalls or WAFs. So some of those pain points um, that I've heard from customers and enterprises is, 
you know, first of all, an inappropriate high false positive rate. It often results in legitimate traffic being blocked, potentially impacting revenue generating business. And so what does this do to the enterprise? Well, they'll, they'll look at, hey, maybe I need to tune down my WAF and just make it a minimal, minimalistic WAF and, and checkbox the compliance thing that I think I need, that, that is why I deployed this WAF in the first place. Um, the other reason is um, when they do have an issue, they find that the WAF tool is more like a black box that offers little visibility and insight for activities such as incident investigation and trying to figure out why did I get that false positive. Um, another reason is deployments uh, can take many days, if not weeks, for tuning in and baselining. And last, uh, daily operational activities for configuration and tuning and other things like that is, is pretty costly. So those are some of the pain points that had been going on over the last five to 10 years. But there's also some market trends um, that are changing the needs in this space. And you guys, you look, I know you're all familiar with them. The first one, first one is the speed of development and applications just you know, updating more frequently because of the increasing use of agile practices, right? And growing um, in, in the growing amount of adoption of automated DevOps. You know, now you see applications that used to you know, update once a month or even less frequently than that are now going to weeks and days. The other uh, interesting market trend that's fairly recent is that security personnel continue to be in short supply. Again, we've heard that over and over again. But, the, but this shortage is amplified for application security. Um, and what does that do? Enterprises that want to prioritize AppSet projects simply can't because they don't have anybody to do them. So that is where ThreadX comes in. And so we are born in the cloud as a SaaS solution, protecting modern web, app web applications and APIs from cyber attack. And we do it differently, okay? Our solution is based on behavioral profiling of user sessions to determine what is benign, what is malicious, what is suspicious, and what later on may not be. Legacy approaches are typically signature-based or looking at singular behavioral approaches. We also couple that with collective customer threat intelligence as well as advanced analytics there to provide for our customers precise protection, low false positives, which we can prove, and complete threat visibility. And we, we do protect all attack types, whether it's the OWASP top 10, um, advanced bot attacks, so it might be credential stuffing, carding, brute force attacks and scraping and others. We also support application level DDoS as well as volumetric DDoS. What we're trying to do is be complete. And so, and last here overall, you know, we have a commitment to our, car, part of, of, to our customers through partnership that their sites are protected all the time. That's 24 by seven, 365 days of the year. So and, we've and seen a, a big uptick in web application firewalls over the last year, really over the last couple of years, because there's so many so many different applications that get deployed, especially you see things like WordPress and, and off-the-shelf things that we just can't necessarily trust the security on. We don't have full visibility of the code, or we're developing in weird languages that aren't necessarily supported by other providers. So having that, that intermediary, that, that WAF, is a big deal. It is important to catch that stuff in transit, but it's getting to be a bit of a, a busy field, right? So what, what differentiates ThreadX from some of the other WAFs that are out there? Yeah, you know, that's a good question. And that goes back to the behavioral approach that we take. So what we're trying to do is make a solution that's easy for customers to deploy. It's easy to tune. And the way we do this 
is by monitoring for independent behaviors that a user session is doing. Many of them, guys, are not malicious. They're, they're interesting. So someone might be doing a directory traversal. Do we, is, does that make the determination of blocking? The answer is no, but it is an interesting data point. If the intensity increases and couple that with the fact that, hey, this thing came from a Tor anonymizer, maybe we do block that session for a while. And what our solution will do is adapt, will adapt to what they see from a behavior perspective, collectively from a user perspective, um, uh, calculate risk and make a determination whether the block or unblock. Okay, and we do that all dynamically. And so it's because of the fact that we are looking for behaviors, not just signatures and requests that make our that make our solution different. And that's one of the ways in terms of how we achieve a near zero false positive rate. Now, I know there's solutions like uh, Amazon's WAF, right? That I can, yeah. if I'm an AWS shop, I'm all in the cloud. I can whip up AWS WAF uh, with a couple of checkboxes. And it effectively gives you no rules, right? So then you have to write all these custom rules to be able to manage it. So I know like, Full control is an option that's out there. And then there's other people who say, hey, this is easy button, just redirect your DNS, now you got a WAF, and that's it, and you never see the rules at all. So that's like no control. Was it were those solutions so bad that you guys looked at it and said, you know, there's no way we can fix that. We just have to start our own company? Or uh, you know, is is there a, a place for that where like some of the existing WAFs could be improved and, and made where they're able to be adaptive like yours? Yeah. So, you know, our founders, um, actually were previously in the IT industry. Our CEO, he was a head of security for a major enterprise. And he literally tried to deploy pretty much at name your WAF company over the last, uh, you know, starting in around, you know, early 2012, 2013, 2014. And what he found is that um, he tried to deploy the WAF in the quote, best practices that the company had. And then he hired this penetration tester, who's our second founder. Andrew Setskus, and uh, he's actually um, a Lithuanian and, um, and, and someone who's been a penetration tester for 20 years. And he found that he could penetrate, easily penetrate any of these WAFs. And so, so the point is there is that, you know, the WAFs that, were, that are out there today are, are really good at certain things, all right? I'm not gonna say they're bad. They're really good at um, some of the OWASP top 10, right? Injection-based attacks, you can look at a request and make a pretty good determination whether it's bad or good. Cross-site scripting is, is a similar one, but let's go beyond those type of attacks. That's when the situation is you know, pretty grim for, for those types of technologies. Well, I think you'll be able to help us a lot um, with today's news stories because we have uh, some ones that are, I think, right up your alley. So let's go ahead and jump into our first segment, the big news this week. All right. Now, the news. All right, this first story comes to us from securityboulevard.com. Imperva report, a third of vulnerabilities lack a fix. And I'm assuming that just means that, that Imperva doesn't have a fix for them, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, when, when I saw the headline, my first thought was, I wonder if their breach was caused by one of these. <laughs> it just yeah. didn't, had nothing to do. Because <laughs> they, they, they leaked data twice last year, but I know one of them was because they had like misconfigured a server. So I, I don't know that a WAF, well, I, I suppose a WAF could have. So. Well, no, a WAF really wouldn't have. If, if you have exposed a server, it's probably not behind the WAF anyway. Right, because so. you're saying, I want to connect to this from here to there. Yeah, I guess it's a, a learning lesson. <laughs> here's, here's what a WAF won't protect. Maybe if it was uh, API accessible, then it could have been a WAF, but I, I don't think so either. 
You know, actually, Chris, you might be able to answer this for me because I've often wondered about this. Like, I, I totally understand how a WAF protects a web server, right? That there's HTTP posts and gets and things like that that you can interpret and determine whether that's legitimate access. But when you have an API, people are writing their own API routes, their interfaces, their sockets, you know, and all that stuff. You know, it, maybe it's tokenized authentication, might not be using HTTP at all. How does a WAF even protect something like that? Yeah, it's a good question, and and that's because what the what the WAF what what the more modern um, solutions will do is obviously being able to terminate um, those other those other underlying protocols. Right now, the other thing to remember is that most APIs are underlying based upon HTTPS, right? Be, be it a, a GraphQL, be it a, a REST-based interface, and so. Some of that from the underlying transport is less complicated, but where it gets complicated is the fact that what's the payload? The payload's JSON, right? And so you actually need to, to build in intelligence to now evaluate that JSON request. You know how we could have fixed all these? Just use SOAP, XML, all the way. <laughs> We'd have never had any of these problems. Uh-oh, she rolled her eyes. Yeah. I got it. Do I win a cookie? <laughs> I tried to implement it once, too. It's all Yeah. yeah. Uh, Justin, uh, what, you are not the government, okay? <laughs> I know. So I'm going to go gRPC all the way. That's what I'm doing. Yeah. So are, are we saying that uh, that these vulnerabilities are just so advanced or that – you know, we just haven't caught up with them yet, and that's why that there aren't fixes for these. I mean, where where's the disconnect? Why is this? Uh, why is a third? Why are a third of them still unfixable? I mean, actually, I, I can jump in here, guys. Please. Just you know, first of all, think about all the open source that's out there today, right? And let's just, let's just look at all the infrastructure that's out there for CMS-like systems. WordPress is one of them. There's there's a lot of open source um, tools and plugins that are being created today. And there's really little governance in terms of making sure that they're, you know, they're well developed from an from an AppSec process perspective. And so they're out there. And then now you got the development teams uh, consuming them. And and one of the challenges I think we have today is that the development teams, you know, there's it it's rough to actually. Um, easily integrate AppSec, you know, shift left type practices into into their processes, right? So they don't do anything. So it it it's really a couple of those reasons that we we see this this high rate. I think the main reason is because there's just more code out there. Yeah, and and uh, to give you guys some numbers here, and of course we'll post the link to this uh, this article in the YouTube description. But uh, the dominant category for this year for vulnerabilities uh, were those that included some form of injection, accounting for twenty eight percent of the total they found in twenty nineteen, up twenty one percent last year. So we're seeing uh, some change. A one on the OWASP top ten injection yeah. attacks. Well, there you go. Yeah, so yeah. I should quit writing evals and all my code. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, one way we defend against those is sanitizing input, right? Yeah. So you don't let people send special characters in when they're filling out a form. And if you're using like an open source uh, CRM or something like that, yeah. that uh, a vulnerability has been found, one of the fields wasn't validated right, you submit a ticket and eventually they get around to fixing it, right? But if they don't fix it right away, if you have a development team, I guess you could try and fix it yourself, right? But if you don't have a development team, now you've got a unpatched vulnerability. And uh, I don't, I don't know if ThreadX does this, but I know some of the WAFs will do inline patching, where they they receive the request in transit and actually sanitize the input for you, or or invalidate or block it or, or whatever, so that it never even gets to the software. So your software might not be patched, 
but you're still protected even though that software wasn't updated. And uh, maybe Chris, can you clarify on on how ThreadX does that or does it? Do yeah, it? <laughs> you know, and, and that's a, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that, Don. That's a really important use case. So let me start with a little story. So I joined ThreadX a little over a year ago. And in um, early February or February 2019, um, you know, a pretty critical uh, Drupal vulnerability came out. It was, it was a remote code execution against version eight. And there were um, proof of concepts out there already. So we, of course, um, were notified. And yes, we do validate to make sure that our behaviors can detect it. And if it can't, for some reason, we will virtually patch immediately. But what was the most important interesting thing is within the first 24 hours, every single one of our Drupal customers had an attempted attack. So what does that tell you? You better virtual patch or you better do something. And that, you know, for someone like myself who comes from the software development community, I was shocked. I was like, wow, that is really fast. I've run a lot of security organizations and I didn't appreciate how fast um, these sort of uh, vulnerabilities get exploited. My, my takeaway there was just don't go on the internet. <laughs> so it was funny. I was going to say, you know how you fix WordPress issues? You install Drupal, but you <laughs> just, just proved it. So. <laughs> well, you know, Justin, you said something to me a few weeks ago where uh, uh, you said before you came to work over at IT Pro TV that you didn't really think about security much. And now that you've done some of the security courses with Daniel, like you're paranoid to write code. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm like, uh, you, you can't break code that I don't write, so there we go. And so, you know, if, if that's the case, if you've got a team of developers, you know, let's look at it from a different perspective, so like me as a business owner. So for me, I employ developers, and I assume they write secure code, but I'm not a developer, so it's not like I can go and review it myself to be sure, and I certainly don't have time to do it. So, you know, the the WAF at that point acts as that, like, constant auditor mm -hmm. that they can write bad code, and if the WAF fixes it, I'm okay with the bad code. <laughs> but, but at the same time, Don, I would argue that you take a, a different stance on it than some organizations that I've worked in. Security, we'll worry about that later. Right. Right. Well, let's just get it done. Let's let's move forward. Move fast. Features first. Yeah. Let's. Oh, it's well, good. I'm like, Tim, yeah, but there's exact say, statements everywhere. Perfect. Right. <laughs> yeah. I hate uh, that phrase. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think having someone who's kind of driving the vision, um, being security focused will help developers, if nothing else, because. I, I definitely worked in environments where like, just get it done. I'm like, I, I did it, but it's probably bad. And, and we kind of figured out as we went through the OWASP top 10 creating that, that, uh, that course was that there's just an underlying fundamental philosophy that you need to adopt as an IT worker. One, if you're developing code, you never, ever, 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 ever trust user input. Ever. It's ever. Right. Did I mention ever? Never. Yeah. So that was like half of the... OWASP top 10, we're just yeah. basically we are the problem. that. Well, yeah. really, it's input in general, right? Because yeah. if we're right. talking about an API, it's not necessarily humans doing the input. You could have bad apps. You could have right. all, all yeah. sorts of stuff. So uh, we've got a lot more news to get to and, and a lot more security news, actually. But uh, let's take a quick break. We're going to come right back here on Technado with Don Pazette right after this. Welcome to IT Pro TV, an e-learning company with thousands of hours of engaging video training for IT professionals with fresh content added daily. What makes IT Pro TV stand out? It all starts with our edutainers who create better than classroom experiences for training you look forward to watching. So an edutainer is someone who takes a topic, an, an educational topic, and makes it more fun, enjoyable. My vision for IT Pro TV was to make the product that I wish I had when I got started. 
the dashboard's great because you can pick up right where you left off, you can see new courses that are available, and you also have access to a variety of study tools with a membership. Follow along with virtual labs and test your skills with practice tests. And unlike traditional training, you aren't handcuffed to your desk. Sure, you can watch from there or from your couch with Apple TV and Roku apps or from anywhere with mobile apps. The training is even available for download. If you're ready to watch and learn with the IT pros, check out the flexible membership choices online today at www.itpro.tv. All right, welcome back to TechNado with Don Pazette. We've got a lot of news to get to. Uh, we have our guests joining us as well. We have Chris Brezjunas, uh, all the way from Colorado, and ThreatX uh, on the line with us today. There she is. Uh, well, let's go ahead and get to this story, which just confuses me from a, uh, a medical perspective completely. Uh, can you get... Oh, I'm sorry. This is from Tom's Hardware. Uh, can you get coronavirus from a package shipped from China? Many PC components and electronics are shipped directly from China. Boy, oh boy. Uh, you may as well just open mouth, tongue kiss the guy that put it in the box, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, I always do think about it. every time I like pop the bubble wrap, I'm like, oh, that's Chinese air. It's a little Which bit of Beijing. Well, so every yeah. time I get a new stick of RAM, I definitely <laughs> lick right up the side. That's how I know if it's good. So I'm assuming, based on my understanding of science, uh, no. So. Um, it's actually not completely no. It's not uh -oh. absolutely out of the question, but it if is they overnight it to me, <laughs> then yeah. Actually, the article says even overnight, it's very unlikely. Yeah, okay, like good. bacteria, viruses, they usually don't stay on inanimate objects, right? Because that, that's not their goal. Like yeah. they need food, sustenance, whatever. Uh, so they're typically going to stay on organic living things. And oh, so the animals I buy from China, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 all those parakeets you're smuggling. Yeah, that's that's bad. <laughs> but when we Eat hear the seeds. We hear headlines come out that say things like the new iPad from Apple might be delayed because of coronavirus fears, right? But well, that's because so, of the workforce, right? Right. But they don't always say that in the articles. Oh, okay. And so people start to to think, right, and, and think crazy Like, what thoughts. about my iPad? Yeah. There's, yeah. there's three of them on this, four of them on this table. And when you go to the store, like, what percentage of goods are made in China? All? all? Yeah, probably yeah, I was going to say all. So if you're worried about coronavirus, then, you know, all of a sudden this fear is mm. there and all of a sudden we stop buying equipment, right? So something that has bothered me a great deal in the news is like, don't get me wrong, this has the, the, the capacity of being like horrible pandemic, that type thing. But someone asked me, they're like, oh, I might get it. Am I going to get sick? I was like, yeah, it's killed people. Yeah. People have died. Mm -hmm. They were elderly people, just like the flu. It was like 100 people. If you look at how many yeah. people the flu kills... It's like, like sixty thousand people a year in the United I'm States. Like alone. two thousand deaths. Yeah. So, but still, still that's no, still. Yeah. I mean, I mean, don't get me China. wrong. I, I feel bad for any yeah, of the right. individuals. It's that, uh, the loss, but yeah. Christus ThreadX protects us from coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you know what? We're going to protect some of our events upcoming by no longer handshaking or yeah. hugging anybody. It's time for the fist bump. Yeah. 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 Full body, like hazmat suits. <laughs> hey, they've got a perfect record. No servers That's protected right. by ThreadX have contracted coronavirus. Oh, there, there, you right. <laughs> there you go. So you, you know what? That should be that. like a landing page statistic. Yeah. Well, it's funny. The only thing that made me think, oh no, this, you know, maybe there is something to this is I remember there's a story that came out about it could be transferred through the pipe. At, at some buildings or something where people were quarantined. And I mean, I guess it could. I guess it can. Some guys just Oh, sorry. There for a second, I was like, are people like blowing back into the water fountains? <laughs> yeah. so they're like, I got it. So, no, so I think I'm, they're passing up. They're using the same pipe. 
Oh, no, no, I don't I'm uh, I'm thankful that we have organizations like the WHO that mm-hmm. are yeah. you know trying to contain these outbreaks. But at the same time, we have the media that blows these things a little bit out of proportion. Because if you look back at SARS and bird flu mm-hmm. and my favorite, remember in the Olympics, the Zika virus? Oh, yeah. Like, we're all going to die. Yeah, if you go to the dead. Olympics, you're dead. I mean, yeah. you got to be a pregnant woman. I, I mean, I was like, <laughs> I was worried, like, am, am I pregnant? Like, yeah, that's how scared so, I was. Yeah. But in the IT world, if you just bought a server, cell phone, other equipment, it's shipped from China, Spray you're going to be with fine. Lysol. Yeah. Um, and don't lick yeah. it. Yeah. It's not going to have any more germs than it normally does. Yeah. Normal rules apply. Right. Don't, don't lick <laughs> yeah. your, your new hardware. Yeah. I mean, unless it's RAM and that's how you check to see if it's bad. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know yeah. that. I mean, nine volt batteries. I Pro tip. I like those. <laughs> it's how you know they're charged, right? Yeah. <laughs> Woo! Light me up. That is fun. <laughs> What's our next article? Be? Yeah, let's get to that. Uh, <laughs> our next article is from Therot.com. GitHub launches new command line experience. And, I mean, Justin, this has got to be exciting for you, huh? Yeah. <laughs> so, All right, our so next when, I, when, I, when I first read this, uh, so like somewhere in the article it goes, this is not a replacement for Git. So this command line experience is about issues and pull requests, like being able to manage issues and pull requests from the command line, which is kind of cumbersome if you're used to using all the other Git tool chains. You have to go over to the GitHub site and and do anything. Uh, I haven't got to play with this very much, but it does say at the very end of the article that this is the beginning point for further developing this tool. So I'm wondering if we're not getting rid of Git, but we're trying to make it a little nicer of an experience um, hopefully, so some of those open source things where I go to, I go to projects and I go, oh, this open issue has been open for four years. That's ah, weird. And no one has commented. I should probably not use this. Maybe this will entice some of those individuals to address those issues or review pull requests. Can I, can I put a nasty pessimist spin on this one? That's what you do. <laughs> Don, I, I expect nothing less from you. I mean, you. you've already ruined so, him from coding. Yeah. Uh, Satya Nadella, right, has done a phenomenal job as CEO of Microsoft. He's embraced a lot of technologies, a lot of things have open sourced, right? Microsoft acquired GitHub. Mm-hmm. And one of the nice things, the things that I appreciated about GitHub was that it followed the Git standard. I could use the Git command line and I could pull and push code from there, from GitLab, from my own hosted Git repositories. No big deal. Well, now they're releasing a new command line. And this is the GitHub command line, not GitLab, not your own Git. Like, this is GitHub specifically. And so if we start seeing development and advancement in this command line that is separate from the mainstream open source Git command that Linus Torvalds controls, now are we going to break compatibility? Is this going to become the next source forge? But but to some I hope not. Oh, <laughs> I'm, I'm breaking out into a sw- Go off there. I'm Chris just threat to protect us from GitHub. <laughs> <laughs> From an API perspective, hopefully. Uh, um, <laughs> Can protect us from ourselves? Yeah. So, like, pull requests themselves, like, that seems to be something that these systems have put into place. It mm-hmm. wasn't how the original Git toolchain behaved. Um, so, like, if all of us were working, we would just be using each other's repositories or self-hosting. Um, by the way, I hate the name pull request. It's very confusing. It's counterintuitive. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I'm wondering if maybe this leads to maybe GitLab. So GitLab's its own company. Do they develop a similar experience? Like maybe instead of your pessimistic view, <laughs> we take a more optimistic view and find that by increasing uh, developer experience within these, we get better, more robust software that is addressed more quickly if any issues are crop, you know, kind of crop up. I doubt that's going to happen, but I'm being hopeful. Sunshine, lollipops, and rainbows. Uh, yeah, and, and <laughs> lies. <laughs> Another you know, guys, I have... 
I had a bit of a different spin on this is that, you know, for me, you know, first of all, GitHub's had a command line interface. It's, it, it's an open source project called Hub. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of been there for a while. So I'm like, okay, so that tells me Microsoft is embracing it. So they're getting more Linuxy, getting away from that, you know, Windows UI based stuff, which for someone like myself who, who's, who started my career in, in Unix and Linux, it's, it's, it's a positive thing. So I, I kind of saw them saying, hey, they're seeing the light and, and Adela continues to do a great job. So I'm, quick aside note, I think we need to have a little scoreboard for every time Don talks about Sachin Adela. Because <laughs> I'm pretty He's sure the last, like the last four <laughs> podcasts, you've at, at least one time. I'm just going to go, there's he, he two. He kisses that photograph every night before he goes to bed. <laughs> uh, I have to give him credit. But yeah, the, the Hub Project has, I'm a very minimalist when it comes to things like that. So I usually don't use tools like that. But That's because you can't have nice things. I can't. I can't. That's because I'm paranoid. <laughs> I'm like, this is a security concern. Throw it out. Nice things yeah. have been ruined for you. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's all right. That's got to be tough. Uh, you right. sound really upset. <laughs> I, no, I, I thanks for it. your compassion. I feel I, I do. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, all right. Next over at uh, Krebs on Security, uh, our next article: Dangerous Domain Corp.com goes up for sale. And I, I got to be honest, I, I read this one and I, I'm just confused. Is this kind of like the uh, putting null on your license plate? Is there something I'm not getting? Yeah, yeah. I, well, I mean, there, there normally is, but specifically, so, like, so if it makes you feel any better, Peter, I was like, yeah, that's cool. Anyway, next, um, but but it's just because it's a four-letter domain, right? And these end it? up having a lot of traffic and uh, kind of so a, some sway. In this case, it's actually a problem because of something Microsoft did twenty years ago, oh. and so more to it. Actually, twenty, a little more than twenty years ago. So before such an Adela. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I, oh, he was alive. Well, he, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> so this, is, this is Steve Ballmer Steve and Bill Ballmer Gates territory. in this one. Yeah. Uh, so back in the NT4 days, which Windows NT4 came out in 1997 and it had domains, right? And those domains continued to evolve in Windows 2000. You got the Active Directory, and we still run the Active Directory today, right? So that's why this problem is still current. Well, in the early days, the original documentation from Microsoft suggested that, hey, when you name your domain, you got to give it a name. And back then, you couldn't change the domain name. So it was an important decision. And Microsoft knew that companies change names, acquisitions happen, and so they encouraged people to use a generic name like Corp, C-O-R-P. Uh, it's like, like Acme. It, yeah, yeah. yeah okay. This is our corporate domain, so C-O-R-P. And many, many, I, I would say like half the domains that I touched back in the old days were called Corp or Domain. There were plenty <laughs> yeah. that were called Domain, occasionally Domain 1. So <laughs> Corp was common, though. Well, with Windows 2000, they switched to using DNS. DNS required a top-level domain, right? And so corp became corp.com. And so a lot of people were using corp.com for their internal network, but they didn't own it. And when I say a lot of people, like Microsoft had this in their own documentation that was coming out at the time, the old training manuals. Well, it's such a pain in the butt to change a domain name inside of the Active Directory that people just rode with it. And so you have people even today where their domain is still called corp.com. Well, that domain is up for sale. It's a real domain. You know, any .com is a real domain. $1.7 million. Yeah. Those, so, those four-letter domains yeah. draw a hefty price. By, by themselves, yeah. but one that's exploitable, right? Yeah. Like, if, if somebody is... If I was writing malware doing phishing campaigns, yeah. corp.com would be awesome. And it gets traffic because of that. People, you know, click on a user profile link or whatever, and it ends up taking them over to corp.com. Uh, email gets sent there all the time because people have it as an extra email address mm-hmm. attached to their accounts. There's all sorts of different things that can be done with it. So it's a dangerous one. You shouldn't, in your network, uh, and I'm talking to the viewers out here because you guys, we all use the same network, uh, but for the viewers out there, 
you should never use a domain name that you don't own, right? And even if you do own it, you should, if you stop using it, you kind of need to keep paying for it, especially if you're providing some kind of a cloud service or a service to your customers, because your customers might point back to it and then it's gone. So like in our in our show, like let's say I made up a domain right now and I said, yeah, donsdiscounttire.com. Oh, just being funny. Now I'm going to buy that. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, Check it out. And maybe I buy it now thinking, well, you know, people will see it maybe for a month and then I get rid of it. Well, somebody else could come and pick it up. And now it gets traffic. Because I, that was a rule I remember on, on NBC. I heard about it because I was watching Conan back then. And he would he set a domain one time. And then the next day he said, apparently we have a rule that now we had to buy that. So now yep. we've gone and made this site, you know. But uh, just for those those kind of problems. That would have been but, great when he was trying to wreck NBC when he was going <laughs> off the air. Oh, yeah, just his name he was like He was like airing football games oh, yeah. and stuff. All so that all these all songs. The lines, that right? He bought a racehorse. <laughs> my question is, why can't, uh, I mean, there's a governing body here. Is it was I can? Is that mm-hmm. yeah? Why can't they just say, "Oh, you know what? No, you you bought that domain for thirty dollars originally. We'll refund you your thirty dollars and every year of it, and that domain is now off the books." Because that creates a precedent, mm-hmm. right? That they could revoke a name for no real good reason because Microsoft made a mistake, right? Okay. So, uh, so I so can, that's like indirect private business power. So you could like yeah. shuffle the deck and go, "Well, I'm going to do this thing because I know ICANN is going to react in this way." The, the mistake here was Microsoft's. Like, they should never have used a domain in the documentation that they didn't own. And then the mistake was compounded by companies that also used a domain that they didn't own. Yeah, so they, they listened to Microsoft. In, uh, if I'm not, correct me if I'm wrong, but like example.com, that's mm-hmm. now for that purpose, right? Like, who owns that? Do you know? So I don't know who owns it, and I think it I actually was owned by somebody else at one point, and they donated it back. Yeah. So that was a— So, like, you can use it for, right. like, documentation or, like— uh, hey, test this out. Yeah. But yeah. that happens sometimes. Like Ford Motor Company, they had a class A subnet at one point, right? Which is just millions, 16 million IPs. IP addresses. Yeah, because they anticipated one day, one day in the future, with every truck we sell, we'll give it an IP address, right? And when the IPv4 address shortage started, they gave those back. They donated them back and said, hey, you know, we actually don't need this, so you can have it, right? Apple, on the other hand, uh, who we normally talk really positive about, Apple has a class A as well. Didn't give it back because they don't want to. So different companies, different ways. There you have it. (laughs) That's just rude. Uh, All right. Let's head over now to our next story uh, from Gizmodo.com. Speaking of Apple. Speaking of Apple. Malware threats on Macs outpace Windows for the first time ever. There's karma. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's how you know you've made it, though, right? right? Peter, what are you running? Oh, crap. (laughs) (laughs) Have you updated to the latest? Yeah, I did, actually. Oh, okay, cool. I mean, I, I still ignore that thing every day that says install <laughs> yeah, yeah. updates to my update. I mean, I just updated. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Come on, I got bro. time. So uh, yeah. I, uh, I, I expected this to occur, but I didn't expect it to occur this soon, right? Uh, that for years and years, it, we've seen this for a long time, where uh, Apple users will say things that uh, aren't necessarily true. Like, um, do you remember when when Windows first rolled out that thing where anytime you did a, a, a change that affected the system, it would pop up and say, like, do you want to make this change? The user access yeah. control, right? Uh, Apple put out a commercial making fun of that where their cool Mac kid could do whatever he wanted. And then the Windows guy in the suit, every time he would try and do something, the pop-up would, would come up. Yeah. Well, Two versions of macOS later, and they there had to is. pop up too, right? Because they recognized, oh wait, we kind of need to do that. I was so mad at those commercials when they had the one that said, uh, "Well, you know what? I'm I'm a I'm an Apple, and and I don't get PC viruses." Yeah. It's like, well, yeah, but they don't get 
Apple viruses. Right. So, That's kind of like, I'm a human. I don't get horse viruses. Yeah. <laughs> it was, so I'm better than you, horse. That's right. <laughs> Except it was the flu. Good marketing, right? Good marketing. But uh, one of the big things that you'll hear is, I'm on a Mac. I don't need to run antivirus software, or I don't get viruses, which has never been true, right? Uh, but the thing is that Macs had a small percentage of the market share. So if you're going to write a virus, you're going for the big percentage of the market share. You're targeting, uh, and I'm, I'm sure over at ThreadX, you guys see this, where people are going to target WordPress because it's all over the place. They're not going to target... Uh, yeah. You know, Joomla, Don's, whatever. <laughs> Joomla probably gets hit too. Yeah, uh, Drupal. So you know they're going to target the the big market share. Well, Macs have been growing in market share quite a bit. I, I mean, they're still at like six percent or something. Well, no, actually, do they cross ten percent? I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of interested. What's your daily driver, Chris? What? Oh, I have a Mac. <laughs> well, Daniel, we got something to do when we get off air. Hey, Colorado, you, get, you say, right? Yeah. And what, so if you get an email from me, it's totally fine. <laughs> <laughs> Click all of them links. I've got the script. It makes your computer run super fast. Yeah, it's awesome. Sorry, guys. We're, uh, we're, we're Slack first here. I'll send you a Slack message. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead and send me it's an invite. Be a link to that email. Have, <laughs> been, have there been any Slack uh are you hiring? Because we're we're on Teams now, and I'd, I'd love to get back on Slack. <laughs> Bro, Teams is not that bad. No Other than we have four generals. Yeah. <laughs> I I tried to send a gift yesterday because I wanted to send the Turd Ferguson gift <laughs> from uh, SNL, SNL Jeopardy, yeah. and no, there's nothing comes up when you type in Turd. Okay. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, just download the Turk Ferguson gift. I had like, to. But it is kind of annoying. It is kind of two seconds. It's a Google no. search, right click, uh, download. No, don't Google search that action. Yeah. That Google's got trouble. a weird. Put yourself image. in the place of somebody in human resources and or management. Uh, yeah. uh, a search for turd returning nothing is not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. Hey, and <laughs> employee yeah. retention? Don't Google <laughs> naked guy armed to the hill. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's bad. not what you think it might be. Well, I, what I think it might be so, is terrible. So no, <laughs> apparently it's worse. I feel I feel like I have to tell the story. <laughs> so, so there's this picture of this guy who's he's in his skivvies, but he's got like ammo belts on ammo belts on, and he's yeah. got a skullet. Yeah. You know what a skullet is? Uh, no, bald on top. Oh, it's like a mullet on the back, okay. right? So, <laughs> sadness up front, party in the back. Okay, um, I haven't heard this one. <laughs> I didn't know yeah. that either. So he's like decked out. Well, we were trying to find that image to like make a point, and if you we go googled it, <laughs> and it's it did not go we well. What was no. the search term you used? Naked guy armed to the hilt. Obviously, <laughs> naked guy armed to the hilt. Yeah, yeah. Dot com. So, yeah. Oh yeah, no, so, we have to buy that. That did not work. No, we are not buying that. Somebody else can have it. <laughs> I know I, I did an interview on Paul Security Weekly, and they were pulling up some gifts in Slack. And one they searched for was Alaskan Pipeline because that was a, a news article. <laughs> That's another one. Don't don't bother with that one. <laughs> we have but, gone off the rails. Remember when you were buying the vest for your groomsmen? Oh, geez. Yeah, <laughs> that was a great. Different story there. <laughs> um, <laughs> that'd be on Don's Twitter. Yeah. Uh, so I got to send you a Slack message for you to get that email, or <laughs> is that right? Pretty much. Okay. Can I put? Can I put? You know, uh, viruses and stuff in. Sl I mean, I could send an exe or something, right? Well, I mean, she can't run that. Mm. You know, the thing about server-based services like that is a lot of times they are doing inline scanning. Oh, so they're on their watching side. it. As yeah, it comes in. and I, I don't know how well Slack does it. Uh, I know Microsoft does it on the team side, obviously, <laughs> and so it's taken care of there. But you know, one of the things that Apple has done, and they've done a great job on, is that when a vulnerability or an exploit is out there, and a, a virus or ransomware or something is taking advantage of it. Apple is super fast to create a fix 
and they push it out in the regular updates. So for most people, they haven't needed to run antivirus on their Mac. Like that, that's been a true statement. Like I haven't really needed it. But now that it's ramping up, it's getting to be something where you need to be anticipating exploits before Apple has a chance to fix them. And that's where antivirus software comes in. So, Don, if I'm running OS 2, do I need to run an antivirus? <laughs> uh, you absolutely do, because there are some very glaring unpatched uh, exploits in that one. Mm. But unlikely to get hit. Uh, true. But the important thing is I need to click, uh, yes, install update. I want to see a you risk know, matrix for OS 2's vulnerability. Back then, updates were like extremely manual, so I don't, I don't think... No, I mean, for now. No, but he's, for now. The one he keeps ignoring. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It gets in the way. Yeah. It does. You know, that's a setting in, in macOS. If you go into your system preferences, you can tell it to automatically install security updates. Like, you don't have to do the feature updates. Yeah, but then it's going to just reboot at random times when I'm trying to play a game, uh, do the work. It's also going to protect you at random times. <laughs> yeah. It's not my network. All right. Uh, let's head over to our last article at it's Ars Technica. Anymore. <laughs> yeah, I'm falling That's Parker right. out the door. If you think IT security is inconvenient, try unemployment. <laughs> that is tough. They are also insecure. Yeah. All right. Uh, the next article here. One of the most destructive botnets can now spread to nearby Wi-Fi networks. Emotets, sophistication, Emotet. 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 sophistication, and reach continues to evolve. So is this basically that saying was an like Egyptian god? It's contagious, like through the air. No. Uh, so we were looking at the article. It's. It was just like a good idea that somebody had like, hey, you know what? A lot of Wi-Fi is really insecure. We ought to just exploit that and see if we can't pass this virus via that method. So it now scans for wireless access points, looks at what kind of encryption that you are employing. Or, or lack thereof. Or lack thereof. <laughs> and then has a couple of dictionary lists that it passes through to try to crack the, uh, the pre-shared key. The PSK, and then if it does, then it's now on that network. Well, luckily, our building here is surrounded by dead spots. There's no Wi-Fi. That, uh... no, that is true. But you know, take an environment like well, the building Chris is in, right? Where right. Uh, we were talking about, there's several other IT companies right there in her building. So Wi-Fi is going to bleed over, especially in a multi-story building. Sure. And so one person gets infected. And then the virus looks for the other wireless networks, finds them, and then just sits there brute forcing it until it guesses the password for the wireless SSID, right? And then once it's able to get there, it can start scanning that network and infecting it. So it effectively does spread through the air uh, in order to reach out and infect machines. It's, a, it's kind of a next step uh, because it's it's not relying on the internet, not passing through a firewall at that point, right? It's just jumping from access point to access point. So for some reason, all I can think is zombies. Uh, right? Kind of. Yeah. yeah. So I, I feel like we're, we're pretty good. We're fortified. But Chris, yeah, yeah. one person gets infected <laughs> in the building, everybody's a zombie. Board up those windows. Yeah. Like, yeah. You, you got, got a red X on them, on the, on them zombies <laughs> points. <laughs> so uh, this sounds like not just if you're, uh, you know, using the default password and all that stuff, but you said it's going to use brute force and, and keep guessing. So, I mean, even if you're you're secure, you're, you're still vulnerable in, to this? In its current form, they're using a dictionary. Mm -hmm. So I, I didn't see how many passwords were in the dictionary, but if you have a password outside of that dictionary, you're safe. Mm -hmm. But it, if they've compromised a machine, what do they care if it's consuming CPU trying over and over Luckily, and over again? I can't spell. So hey, What's funny is it all comes back to just basic security practice of use strong passwords. Yeah. And, you know, that's, it's that simple. But sometimes it's difficult, especially yeah. with wireless networks, because you know the, the best solution is to do 802.1x, right? right. And, and WPA2 so, Enterprise, yep. right, which is, is using certificates. But certificates are a pain in the butt to set up. Yeah. So people use a, a pre-shared yeah, key. Are. And if you and if you are handing out the pre-shared key to people, if you're posting it on the wall, as like, much hey, of a pain in the butt as having a data breach. Yeah. Right. Well, that's this, that's how you have to evaluate. This is what it. we have to do, right? Like, I, I guess it's hard. Or. I, I, 
So for some reason, I'm thinking, what if I'm running a web server at my house, right? And all of my neighbors are using my Wi-Fi network. <laughs> and... <laughs> And my web server's an entry point, and my I get in, my web server gets infected. Does that mean my my neighbors are now infected? If they're all using the same network, yeah. well, but potentially, right? right? Like if their machines are secure, yeah. then oh, well, I mean, if they're using my network, I doubt <laughs> they probably are. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think uh, there's numerous mistakes in that uh, topology. <laughs> I don't doubt it. Uh, so if I am running a uh, Raspberry Pi web server at my house, uh, can running you put Drupal, on that? Uh, yeah, can I put three ThreadX on that? <laughs> Drupal seven, right? Yeah. Well, it's it's Spot. in the cloud. Well, guys, actually, let me let me add to your your analogy there. I mean, think about all the IoT devices out there, and how many TVs have default passwords. Oh, true. <laughs> I'll clarify that's why, that. I, that's why I so still use monochrome monitors in my house. <laughs> Everything's green yeah. and scanning. You think what Justin just said was an analogy? That's that's yeah, just that, that's actually Peter's house. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at it right now. That's yeah, the dog. Goodness. Yeah, he's you know, doing well. I, I can I can be kind of. Uh, kind of uh, sarcastic about this and say, you know, for my husband, he would love it for maybe Emotet to go ahead and attack our TV so I can stop watching reality TV. <laughs> yeah, can oh, it, is there a virus that can just shut down the housewives? Which is the bigger bane, She's right? just going to come home and see a hammer through the TV. Like, Emotet got it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this guy ran in. He said, my name's Emotet. I beat the TV. He had a with, dog hat on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I caught the bachelor virus. Yeah. yeah. Can't, can't watch I, that I do have to ask, though, what's your reality TV poison? Oh my God! You guys said it. I do like The Bachelor. I knew uh, oh man! You know what one goes down? I think. Can we go ahead and cut her off? <laughs> you get a, oh, you get a nice Chardonnay, couple, uh, couple Peter cubes of ice in there. No, the give her the rose. <laughs> <laughs> you horrible. Did you man. just say you ice your Chardonnay? If I'm watching The Bachelor. Oh okay. <laughs> Is it in a bag or do you go? Like, <laughs> no, I, I bring the whole box over to the couch. <laughs> It's next no, to I'm Megan about, with her, I'm talking about the ice in her so, you can pull, so you can pull the, the melted uh, ice no. out without diluting your Chardonnay. No, not at all. Well, that it was just a, puts more Chardonnay in. That was a sad look into the lives of uh, each of the people on the, on the podcast today. I, there was nothing sad about mine. I just found out that Peter drinks a gallon of Chardonnay every night. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Peter. Mostly ice. It's we, very watery. We, we love you, and we don't want anything bad to happen. Now, those boxes come bigger than a gallon. Are we about to have an intervention here on yeah. the podcast? I, I feel like, I mean, <laughs> we, we have Vegas a bachelor walking the door, or they're back in their mouth. Listen, Peter, you got a problem. <laughs> <laughs> if, this, if this is an intervention like the show, that means you've set up a vacation for me in, like, Palm Springs. Yeah. yeah. Actually, they are some pretty hoity-toity so, addiction like, centers, isn't Let's it? do this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have got a problem, and I need help. Yeah. Like, so Who's I got that duster? I don't leave until I, I admit what my problem is? Okay. Whatever you say it is. Is. That's what no, I don't admit anything. I'm staying. <laughs> uh, yeah, you just admitted uh, you watched The Bachelor. I do not. Yes, you did. No, okay. <laughs> so maybe he I, I don't. Think so. We'll have to go back and watch the tape. Yeah. Hey, we've got he some never webinars coming up uh, over at IT Pro TV to let you know about. Uh, our first one, uh, or our next one, I should say, is how to train your end user running an efficient help desk. Uh, and that is going to be Joe Peacock talking about that on Thursday, February 27th at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, so definitely uh, sign up for that. We've also got the all the on-demand webinars that we've recently done. Uh, Reimagined Performance Monitor was last week. Um, Ten Qualities of a Help Desk Pro. Are you ready for DAS? DAS. That was a part two. <laughs> that was part two. Well, there's a part one of that too, yeah. right? Uh, yeah, it was called Are You Ready for DAS Part One. Oh, did we retroactively add to part one? No, I don't think so. Oh, okay. We just if, knew. if you race, is it DAS car? <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, oh, that's uh, some redneck humor. Anyway. Yeah, and uh, also, uh, while you're on that internet, head over to go.itpro.tv slash technado. Uh, we've got a 30% off coupon code for you there if you want to sign up for IT Pro TV and learn about all the, uh, the fixes for all the things we talked about today that are broken. Speaking of broken, I have to tell y'all, I had uh, I had someone write to me that it should be Technado with Justin Dennison. Yeah, he did. <laughs> yeah, because I'm the star. All right, we'll yep, have to so, A/B test it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so be like, who's Justin Dennison? <laughs> tell your mom we will think about it. Uh, <laughs> you know, it would make sense, but my mom was like, that podcast is horrible. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Chris, if uh, if people want to find out more about ThreadX, uh, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, so you know what? Come visit our website at threadx.com. That's easy to spell, and we'll uh, happily initiate a conversation. And we'll also be at a number of events this winter, including RSA. Uh, so come see us, and uh, I may not shake your hand, but I will fist bump you. That's like next week, right, RSA? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's sneaking up on us. Yeah. The, the time flies. Uh, so head over to their website at corp.com. And uh, <laughs> so I'm glad I wasn't the only one thinking it. I was like, corp.com. Yeah, this ThreadX site, that sounds, that sounds fake. <laughs> what, what is the Lev Parnas guy? Uh, his, his company's like Fraud Incorporated or something. What are you talking you about? You know, the, the Giuliani Associates. Do, do you get the news? Apparently not, not actively, no. All right, never mind. We'll talk about that later. Uh, all right, well, thank you. Uh, thank you, Chris, for joining us today. And uh, and stay warm out there. It's 85 degrees here today in sunny Florida. And uh, you're experiencing <laughs> snow flurries. So Awesome. Hey, thanks, guys. Thank but you. It's dumping on the, the upper. What did you say before? <laughs> She's getting. High country. <laughs> high country. Dump, yeah, dump, dump it on the high country. Dump it on the high country. Yeah. That's or children. I'm that's sorry. That's going to become a thing. Yeah. <laughs> I got a t-shirt idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. We'll see you next week right here on Technado with Don Pizzette.